Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. On this weekly podcast, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. On this week's show, we have New York City Football Club's president, John Patrickoff. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi-Williams. And let's start with a big one. Wait, 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 bar, bar, bar. Biggest stories of the week. Oh. Biggest stories of the week. Yeah. That we have an engagement on the show. And I don't even think Eben knows this because he wasn't here. That's oh, right. I know. I'm Con- aware. Oh, congratulations to producer Medina Parwana on the engagement. Thank you. On the west Thank side you. of Manhattan. We saw a lovely photo. And congratulations to Jason. Yeah. <gasps> you re- Edmund, you remembered his name. And congratulations to Jason. And you know what? See, you wanted us to keep it quiet, but where you made your mistake is that you told us. Yeah, you no, told my us. mistake is that I told Scott. <laughs> oh, well, we're sitting in front of microphones. I, I mean, just seat us at the same table at the wedding. You know, that's all I. That's all I have to ask. All right, Evan, go ahead. What, what are we doing? Big we got. Thing. We got to start with the NCAA and big news uh, from former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, who was behind this report about the NCAA basketball task force, and they're trying to. Clean up the game is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, this group spent six months looking into the problems in college basketball stemming from the very high-profile FBI uh, bribery arrests that happened back in October. Uh, and it came out pretty much exactly what you'd expect. I don't want to be group. too opinionated here, but how many yeah. minutes in a conference room did, would we have needed for this? <laughs> the, uh, the findings are a lot of the things that you would expect them to find. Uh, certainly no indictment of amateurism, which you can make a very easy argument, in my opinion, is the reason behind a lot of these problems they pointed fingers at the nba asking them to change one and done they pointed fingers at nike under armor and adidas asking them to clean up their act in youth basketball uh there is some internal looking inside the ncaa about things that they can do differently how nice um, some, some look at the but, NCAA. but from, nice. from from the most part yeah this is this is probably a list of, of of problems that the three of us could have come up with in an afternoon just talking them out uh and not really much that looks like it's going to change dramatically at least in the near future my and, best line that i love of the story is that they're saying that they made it easy to cheat yeah, well, they, they do make it easy to cheat. Uh, and you also make it, there's a situation rife for kids to cheat when those who are generating the revenue do not get compensated in proportion to the revenues that are being distributed elsewhere. When you look at the athletic directors, when you go to Alabama and you see the strength coaches making almost a million dollars a year and a kid really can't do anything, kid can't transfer without sitting out if the coach can't it makes it pretty simple to see that they're going to get angry yeah that's the i mean you can chip away at the outside you can say that they should be able to test the waters of pros and then come back you can say that they should be able to talk to an agent uh without losing their eligibility but the fact remains that if they were allowed to be compensated in some capacity beyond just a scholarship for what they were doing a lot of these problems would go away naturally and i do love the fact again they take aim at the nba and the nbpa Folks, yes, you are sort of a feeder league. I get it. I get the relationship. However, that is a separate business. The NBA and Adam Silver and its owners, they care about their business. And if I own an NBA team, I would rather, for multiple reasons, have a kid play one year somewhere than to have to draft him from high school. 
if they play at big time college basketball, I get another year to see how that player performs. It shortens the lifespan of the big contracts they're going to make. It makes good business sense. Why in the world doesn't the NCAA just clean up its own house and go back to the way it used to be? You can't play as a freshman. Well, that's where the NBA's G League would come in, wouldn't it? A- absolutely, theoretically, but still, as we've seen, kids grow up. They see the NCAA tournament on TV. It's something they want to do. But if you're the NCAA and the member institutions, you have the power on your own to end one and done. They just want it cleaned up somewhere else. Well, they've mentioned in the report, in fairness, they said that they, if the NBA doesn't change their rules, that they will consider things like freshman ineligibility. But that, why is that second? Right? Why, why is it if they don't clean our clean up our house, then you should clean up your I own mean, house? I mean, you know the answer to that, right? Yeah, because of course. Because the NCAA is, is very much in this position right now where they are looking to deflect as much of the blame as possible for the fact that they have an incredibly corrupt Amazing. and, uh, and Amazing. disingenuous enterprise. Amazing. Got to talk about... Uh, host that I like who is coming back to WFAN. Can we all do the voice? Can we try? Go ahead and try. I'm going to fall asleep on the show. I'm going to yell at Paul. Where's my Diet Coke? Where's my Diet Coke? I can't do my show without my Diet Coke. That Mike Francesa coming back to WFAN. And yes, it was it was awful. <laughs> now, I have to say, I'm a former intern at WFAN. I used to do the I overnight shift. Yes, I used to do the overnight shift with Steve Summers. So for those who remember watching the show with the lightning rod, Bill Rodman, the producer, I was Great Scott, the intern at the time, and Don Imus and Francesa w- would come in. Even back then, you got a sense that these were big personalities. These guys were that important to the operation and generated a lot of the money. But why come back? I, and, and again, this is you know this is Francesa's decision, but... You stepped out, you stepped out on top, now why come back? One, I, I suspect he misses the gig. He didn't realize how much he'd miss having a big platform. And two, uh, he probably realized on the national scale there wasn't that much appetite for Mike Francesa, and that's a tough blow to the ego, and he had to take a big pay cut to go back. Worth mentioning that for Inter- yeah, Intercom, Scott just mentioned the pay cut. Uh, this works out well for them, right? Yeah, I mean, he's yep. a ratings magnet. Uh, he left for a couple months, and then you got him back at a, at a, at a steeply discounted and price. And they keep Chris Carlin and Maggie Gray, yep. so they're keeping the new talent they had, just shortening up those shows. But it's going to be having, well, these are new studios now. In the old Kaufman Astoria studios, it would have been a tight spot for people to work. Um, there's going to be some feelings that need to be smoothed over, and I don't know if that's going to happen. Let's talk about something else now. Jacksonville Jaguars owner is now looking at something that is very important in Wembley to many sports fans. What's up? Well, let me tell you, you might not know this, Bar, but our own Evan Novi Williams is like one of four longtime Jaguars fans in New York. So he's on top of all things Shad Khan. I am a Jaguars expert. Uh, yeah, so Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, who also owns a, a soccer team, Fulham, uh, that plays in London, uh, has apparently bid to uh, to buy Wembley Stadium, You know, one of the biggest stadiums in London. It's one of the ones that the NFL plays in every year. The Jaguars are there. That's where the national uh, every team in England plays. Yeah, that's their it's national, national team home. national team in England plays. Um, certainly, you can look between look at the tea leaves here. Uh, the Jaguars are there once a year contractually already. Uh, certainly 
stands to reason that if he buys this thing, there, there's a good chance that they may play more than once a year there. Um, he has said he's committed to Jacksonville. He's spending a lot of money in northern Florida. Uh, so there's reason to believe at least that there is some some role for the Jaguars there. But I would imagine that this is an entry point into more NFL in London. Our thanks to Bloomberg Sports reporter Evan Novi williams Now let's get to this week's interview with the president of the New York City Football Club, John Patrickoff. He previously held positions at Tribeca Enterprises, Quadrangle Group, and Tell Me Networks. Yes, Michael, he has an extensive resume, not only Wall Street, but sports, sports media, business. Very interesting guy, very interesting team. Very interesting time. And John, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We do enjoy the in-studio. Let's tell our audience what happened earlier in the week. You were kind enough to invite some members of the media to your new training facility and participate in a session to see what it's like to be a professional soccer player. I made it how many minutes before injuring my calf? Well, Scott, I mean, since you've brought it up, couldn't have been asked for a nicer day. Opened up the Etihad City Football Academy in New York. It's the third one in the City Football Group. We have one in Manchester and one in Melbourne. And I would say you really helped us inaugurate it by getting injured within the first five minutes and really showing the full breadth of our medical capabilities and everything else there. Um, I was impressed with the effort in those five minutes, I have to say. You looked great. I I think Patrick Vieira, your coach, was impressed with my touch pass, touch pass. I, I, I did it the right way. I, I, of course, got the scouting report first thing this morning, 6 a.m., and I would say that you have high potential, but there's a real question about your uh, about your fitness levels and some of your practice. As well, and, and, and it came. Be. I mean, I have to say, the scouting reports that we had gotten on you from the hockey hockey leagues around the city were were really strong and, and positive. So, I guess. Um, you know, we have a little work to do on some of those muscles, you know, in some areas that get used. A I can't tell soccer. if I had the muscles and haven't used them or don't have them. I'm not sure which it was, but whatever I've gotten, that calf is no good bar. See, John, a pleasure to meet you. And nice I'm trying Thank not to giggle, <laughs> but I, I didn't hear anything about this. So you got to tell me more. What, what happened? We were doing a drill where you take a pass and then you stop it and you pass to the open man. You're not, you know, you're kind of in a circle, people all around you. You're not really sure where the open person is. And a ball was a little bit to my left. So I darted left stopped on like the ball of my foot like you're supposed to and then went to push off to go back right and instead of going east west i just went south <laughs> well I have, what, what it says is you know that we at new york city football club just inaugurated this great state-of-the-art new training facility here in rockland county up in orangeburg new york and um Patrick was talking about how our medical team and our training staff has done an incredible job with our athletes. I think we had the, one of the lowest injury rates in the entire league in MLS. Yeah, I heard that part but, of the speech. But you heard that part of the I speech. I heard it. But Scott got around that, of course, and is now throwing off all our statistics. We had to go back and no longer can we claim that we have this low injury prevention rate. Well, let me but, tell you, though, this is what really interested me. For people that don't realize, yes, you said you, it's Manchester. Obviously, it's owned by Sheikh Mansour. Yep, and that there's an NYC FC. There's of course, uh, Manchester Football Club and in Melbourne. And the continuity is what really struck me. Absolutely. When they were talking about, Bar, you're going to love this, when they were talking about the grass on the field, it wasn't quite an inch, but there's a style of play. There's, a, there's really a belief in a style of play. The ball should bounce properly. It should roll quickly. And that is a certain style of grass at a certain height. Three more weeks and your grass at this facility will be there. But that's amazing. If they don't realize... What a global operation this is. Yeah, it's true. I mean, um, City Football Group really has been a project that's still still very young. I mean, it's only now, it's, it's less than 10 years old. I expect old, more to pop up around the world. It, absolutely. So when we're now at six clubs around the world, um, Manchester was first, Melbourne, New York, 
Um, we have a partnership in, in, in Japan, Yokohama. And then we have two teams that we've just added um, basically in the last 12 months, one in, in Spain, Girona, uh, that got recently promoted. Um, and then in Uruguay, we have an, a team down in, in Uruguay that's playing as well. Both of those were designed a little bit more as developmental clubs, and um, but they're b- both doing incredibly well. And I think you're right that, that the model for City Football Group is to continue to expand globally, um, not just with owning clubs, but developing players and really thinking about the soccer world broadly and investing in, in a range of business activities that all tie back to soccer. And I think at the end of the day, we hope that that global model, knowledge sharing, commercial operations, will will give us an, you know competitive advantage. I want to get back to my partner, Hobbles, in a second, but I want to talk more about something that you guys were talking about, that with the state-of-the-art facility, yes, of course, you have to have a medical staff there, uh, which is apparently second to, to none, from what I understand. Well, I mean, you know, when you think about the training facility, um, it's designed so that players come in, um, they come in in the morning to, to, you know, to work, basically come into work every day. Um, and I think, you know, people often underestimate how much training and practice goes into being a professional athlete, right, and, and what it takes. But, you know, these guys, especially in the soccer season, we all know it's a very long season. Um, we love you know, effectively an eight-week off-season, you know, throughout the entire year. So you're talking about guys who are playing 10 months a year, and if they're not playing in a match, you know, they'll have one, maybe one off day a week, and then the rest of the days, they're in training. They come in in the morning, and we track the nutrition very carefully, so they're now eating breakfast um, in, in, a, in a menu that's designed by a nutritionist. Um, they're training, obviously, there. They're recovering. They're meeting as a team. Um, and then, obviously, the medical staff clearly is not really there to d- design to deal with injuries after the fact. We have a great partner with New York Presbyterian and a great, you know, group of, a group of specialists, but it's all about injury prevention. It's all about nutrition. It's all about training. And to Scott's point, it's very much about kind of this consistent style of play, which we play across the city football group. And it, you know, it gets a lot of attention in Manchester. Patrick Vieira, who's our head coach here, um, was a, was a youth coach in Manchester, um, in addition to being obviously a world, world, world champion, uh, soccer player in his own right. But there's a very distinctive style um, playing from the back, you know, very passing-oriented, possession-oriented style control the of ball. play. Control, control the ball. The ball. They want control. Speaking of control, everything in the, in the facility seemed to be about control and atmosphere. Very similar to Bloomberg. No offices, yep. open floor plan. Does business learn from sport, or did sport take that from business? Oh, it's actually a, it's a great question, and, and I don't know if I actually know the answer there, but I, I do feel that it's very much the case. I've been now at the organization two years, and, and it was in, so the philosophy is something that was clearly in place. It's in place in the training ground, which you saw, where there are no offices, but it's very much in place at our offices here in Manhattan, so our, our front offices are, are down on 40th and 3rd. No one has an office there either. Um, you'll see a lot of the same messaging consistent throughout all of our offices around the world. Um, you'll see a lot of the same mantras, um, a lot of the same design elements, colors, um, types of materials that are used. Um, actually, the, the the material on the outside of the building up in up in uh, Orangeburg at the training facility is what we call Etsy cladding. It's literally a, a, a type of material that we designed ourselves um, and is used in, in Manchester and Melbourne as well. I have to ask you, because you worked with the Tribeca organization, how did that experience help you with the NYCFC? A couple different ways. I mean, one of the big parts of building a football club, and and I've learned this now again in in the time that I've been here, is 
it's not a team, right? It's it's a club. And what does that actually mean? Yes, most of the attention goes on the first team. Most of the attention goes on what's happening uh, out on match days, winning trophies and cups. But it's about building that community. And that was such a hallmark of what, what the Tribeca Film Festival was all about. It started at this unique moment after 9-11 in, in New York. Um, and we built this multi-dimensional organization that was about supporting young filmmakers, but also about Hollywood films. It was about um, reaching out to television, film, it was about kids. And, and, and that's very much the same ethos that it actually attracted me to City Football Group, which is building this football club. It's Yes, it's about the first team, but Claudio has done an amazing job building our academy. That's growing rapidly. Um, not only have we expanded to kind of U12 all the way through U19, but we've got a girls academy team. We're doing incredible work in the community. So all of that kind of coming in with that philosophy. John Bragg, hold on. We're, we're talking to John yeah. Patrick off the president of NYCFC. Brag a little bit. You've actually seen some fruit of that labor, kids Absolutely. who were in the academy have now yeah. made the first team. Yeah, it's incredible. That's not easy to do. Not not easy to do, and certainly in a, in a short period of time. So um, we've signed now two kids out of the academy um, who have James Sands and, and Joe Scally, and, and they are now signed with our first team training with our first team. Um, uh, both of them are actually U.S. internationals as well. Doesn't so James' played. father run media at McKinsey? <laughs> it's funny. So we'll he did. All back to the he, exactly world. right. Bringing you all back to the media. See, world. it all starts here. It does all start <laughs> here. All does starts here. And, uh, he, um, and, and so for us, it's about developing that young talent with the academy that ultimately can play on our first team. But but it's also, you know, to go to your, your question, it's about that broader community. And so that's been a big part of it um, and and growing growing great, passionate fan base, you know, and community. Where do you see soccer in America? It's, it's growing and growing and growing. How do you see the sport down the road? Yes. Yeah, so, so I think that um, – Everyone knows it's been that running joke that it's always the sport of the future. Um, I think that um, I think it's a very unique time. I think that um, MLS in particular um, is stronger than ever. Um, you've got teams that are now growing. Obviously, expansion continues. Great owners that are coming into the league. If you just look at some of the most recent ownership groups, you look at people like Peter Gruber with with LAFC, or you look with Arthur Blank with Atlanta. I was just down, you know, in Atlanta two weeks ago. Are you jealous? They're averaging seventy something thousand a game. Um, not, you know, it, it's. I've gotten to a place where it is. I, I'm I'm jealous on the field because you know we're we're vying for the top spot in the East with them, and so um, uh, um, we're competitive. I shouldn't say jealous, competitive on the field, but off the field, I actually don't see it. I see it as like all all, all kind of you know rising tides are going to lift all boats, and so for us, I think it helps. NYCFC, when you see success like Atlanta or see success like I'm sure LAFC is going to have, great to have people like Zlatan coming back into the league. Great to have young players that are developing. And, For those who know that, Zlatan Ibrahimovic at, at Who Galaxy. just came at the Galaxy. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's it's terrific. It, you know, it, it helps our fans, um, you know. It helps them. I mean, I think they, they love traveling to these games, and we had a great group of you know, traveling supporters that came down to Atlanta or just were out with us in Portland last week. So the answer is the league, I think, is at a, at a great moment in time with great investment going on, new facilities like our training ground. I said it yesterday, but their training grounds at all. A lot of the major teams now have, have built new state-of-the-art facilities. Um, so I think it's a it's a very special, uh, special moment. I don't want to forget this because it's a good segue, but I want to come back to the Arthur Blank community pricing in the stadium. Yep. But I do want to ask you, since you mentioned the investment not long ago, we wrote that Patrick Soon Shang was investing in DC United at a $500 million valuation. Can you, who knows the ins and outs of MLS, can you justify a $500 million valuation for me? 
Well, first of all, I I don't know anything specifically about the valuation or the transaction. Just in general, that it's two hundred million, uh, give or take, for expansion. The numbers are certainly mushrooming. Yeah, I, I think the the numbers are definitely growing. What are the linchpins behind it? Yes, yeah, so, so I think that. Um, well, first of all, you've got scarcity, and you've got a great league structure, I think. So I think that people are looking around the world. Um, I think sports teams in general um, are incredible kind of properties. They continue to retain and, and draw some of the biggest audiences across all media. Um, and so I think you look at, at the mat- most uh, the highest level, people are believers in sports. The believers that there's scarcity because there are not that many professional teams that are out there. And then when you look around the the world and you think about what sports are actually growing on a global level, um, soccer clearly has to be at the top. I mean, clearly NBA is, is, is an incredibly strong, you know, league and, and sport uh, on, on an international level, but it's hard to, to compare anything to soccer. I want to talk about the marketing part of soccer, which around the world you don't have to worry about, but marketing in the U.S., what do you have to do? We have... Um, we've had a couple of different approaches, um, even over the, the ton of two and a half years now that I've been with the club. But we're our kind of big realization for NYCFC over the last six months is there are millions of soccer fans here in the New York metro area. So it was possible that you know ten years ago, maybe even five years ago, a soccer fan might say, you know, listen, I watch you know La Liga or I watch the EPL, but you know what? I'm just yeah, MLS isn't the quality that, that that you know appeals to me. I don't think for soccer fans it's as easy to say that. I think that you as a soccer fan in New York should absolutely go follow your international teams, but you should be realizing that this league has the quality, the number of participants. Patrick is one of the be- Patrick Vieira is one of the best spokespeople around this. Claudio speaks to it incredibly well about you know seeing U.S. soccer grow, seeing what the landscape looks like. We've got World Cup players here, you know, on our team, but but across the league, and so and you've got you know Tata Martino down in Atlanta, and you've got you know, Bradley out in L.A. In LA. You've got Patrick here with, with NYCFC. Um, look what's happening in the, you know, for those who follow the CONCACAF Champions League, you know, Toronto's playing in the second leg of the, of the finals, you know, which is an, another great indication of the quality of MLS. So for us, the focus is growing increasingly. How do we get soccer fans in the U in New York to take another look at, at NYCFC, another look at MLS and say, you know what, it's actually gotten a lot better. Well, for us here at Bloomberg, we can't miss it because there's a lot of coin in soccer. So it. we can't miss not talking about it. You know where else there's a lot of coin? Stadium development. Right. You know where I'm going. <laughs> I, I left it more toward the end because I don't want to talk too much about it. But Impressive restraint, by the way. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I had a training the yeah. other day. You need a place to play. And I'll tell you this as someone who's been there with his kid. Atmosphere versus even Red Bull right here. It, it's intimate. It's small. You're close. Yankee Stadium was supposed to be a temporary home. And you're looking for a site. You're, you've got several in contention. How far away are you? from having your own home? And what will the benefit be? It's hard to comment on the timeline. I mean, I think what, what I can say is uh, give people a little insight into kind of into the process, right? Which is that you've got the the, pro- the phase we're in right now of kind of identifying and locking in a site. And what I always say is, is, is difficult is that 
in the process, you we've evaluated thirty plus sites. You know, over over the course of time, many of which predate my arrival. There have been many since I've been here now with the club, and each one of those is its own process. So you you look at one, and it, it starts, and it at least takes six to twelve months, maybe even eighteen months. You know, th- hopefully to to get one across the line. And so, but but what happens is one of those will fall off. And so right now, the good news is we've got multiple sites under under consideration, and a number of those have been under consideration for many many months. So what that gives me. You know, when I, I've said I'm more positive or feeling more encouraged, that's the reason I say that, which is I think the process is moving along. Once we actually secure a site, there's a long approval process, and then there's the construction process. So in New York, that that approval process can take, you know, a year to two years. Forever. For, you know, well, for those, for those no. who may not know, an LP, a limited partner in the team of the New York Yankees. Absolutely. And certainly Randy Levine, who knows how to get a stadium built in New York City. Is assisting in those yeah, efforts. and Randy and the Yankees are are incredible partners. I mean, you really you couldn't ask for for better partners um, in a project. Certainly not here in New York. Um, and Randy's an important important part of the puzzle and, and leading it and, and helping with with Marty Edelman, who's our vice chairman, um, who uh, has has been working on this since the beginning. I think that um, the, the one thing I'll say is that. The support from the New York City community that I've seen, I've seen it be generally very positive. I mean, in other words, I think elected officials, community members, again, they're going to be local considerations anywhere we go, and we have to be very sensitive and aware of those, and and I think we will be as as an organization. I think we'll be very attuned to them, but – I think that the, there's a really clear understanding that this is a sport that is meaningful to New Yorkers and would bring tremendous kind of positives to their to their communities. Um, and, 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 and it's a sport that's accessible to everyone. So I, I feel really positive from a, from an approval standpoint that we'll have a lot of support. That said, you know, as a team coming into any neighborhood, um, you got it's it's the right thing to do, and it's clearly the way we're built and the way we'll act, which is you have to be. Um, understand that this is a very important relationship it's it's not a it's not a transaction well one reason why it works in new york simply location because you have a big melting pot of folks correct and everybody gets into it yeah absolutely absolutely i mean you know and this is a sport you know when when the u.s didn't qualify for the world cup and and that you know that could certainly a blow to u.s soccer but i i said to our team and i really believe that that there's still no better place in the world to be during the world cup than new york you know you've got every country represented you know so many people from you know all 32 countries i would encourage people to go down to soho there are French restaurants. It's, there's Greek. Right. There, you can go into different places and hear the eruptions coming from around. That's Correct. that's what we usually do. Correct. And, and, and even if it's fun. seven, and even at seven a.m., people yeah. will be out there having breakfast, coffee, drinking. They're having a glass. And listen, this is a city that's alive all the time. So it would be amazing for for obviously for the U.S. to be in the World Cup. But point being, you know, soccer means so much to people. And and one thing we we have an project I'm so proud of, which is we are working with the mayor's office, with Etihad, uh, who's an amazing partner, Adidas, and the U.S. Soccer Foundation to build 50 small soccer fields in uh, low-income neighborhoods throughout the throughout the five boroughs. And we have built 10. We're in the process of building the next 10. And over the next three years, we'll build we'll be 30 more. You know, the most important thing left for MLS is to boost its ratings with EA Sports. So kids, sure. you know, your kid oh is a gamer goodness. and he yes. beats bar up all the time, but you want kids <laughs> playing NYCFC. You want them being David. Totally. You, you, you need them to engage with your clubs, your facilities. So, so I'm not sure if place. you know this, but we have. That, that's that's code for Scott. We, you don't we know have, this, but I'm being nice. We, we have someone. <laughs> 
who, um, you know, Chris Holly, who is a professional FIFA player who represents NYCFC and competed um, two weeks ago in the EMLS tournament, which was a tournament um, run where every MLS team sent a representative to play, um, was up in Boston, and uh, it was terrific. So, you know, we get it. I I think you're absolutely right. You you know, we kind of, we all kind of still kind of think it's humorous, but there were, but, but FIFA is an incredibly entry point for young people into the sport. And you're absolutely right that MLS is focused on it. We're working together with them on how do we kind of boost the presence within the game. And uh, it's, it's in the it's game. A, it's a party. Well, it's in the game. Thank you. John Patrickoff with NYCFC. Thank you. I can't make much fun of Scott. Just watch <laughs> limp out I of injured myself playing pool once. There you go. That's <laughs> it. So that's another story. Anyway, well, John, thank, thank you. you so much. Sarah. Thank you guys for having us. Takeaways. Soccer is growing in the and I know that's been in, in the US and I know that's been an overworked phrase over and over again. But when you talk to John, you can't help but to be excited about the sport and where it's going to be ten to twenty years from now. Yeah. Well speaking of ten to twenty years from something, I'm taken aback by how poorly I performed in my appearance with NYCFC. <laughs> Our number of the week should be three. Number of minutes Soshnik lasted on the field with premier athletes. I feel bad because I didn't know you really did some I'm serious I'm still limping around. It, 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 it's tough. But in my visit to the training facility, I will tell you what struck me is the uniformity. When you have a big umbrella organization like this, and it's Manchester City, and they have in Melbourne and around the world... Everything is the same. That video room is locked. They approach everything the same. Every bit of practice is logged because they want the grass to be the same, the outside of the building to look the same, the field to be the same. They really want everything throughout this umbrella organization. This isn't easy. They want the style of play, the grass in Melbourne to mirror right here in New York and what's going on in Manchester City. Everything to be the same. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. You don't know what it is, so here we go. It is 51. Ooh, you know what? I don't know, but can I go off script? Go ahead. Or whatever little script? Yeah. How about this for our number of the week? Yeah. Medina, how many carrots is that ring? Oh, yeah. That should be the number of the week. I and think I, it is 51. And, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you know what? It might be 51. And I don't know. I, I don't. I know she knows the answer to this one. I know. But I really don't know the answer. You don't know how many I carrots? I promise you I don't know. You don't know cut and clarity? I've been through this. I do know those things, but I don't know specifically on this one. All right. Because I'll I didn't get... want to know. I just wanted him to pick something you that he wanted to pick and, you know. It, to, for it to be special. That's, that's it. okay. My piece of advice, you'll find out when you get it appraised for the insurance yeah, company. Yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, give me your 51. 51. Uh, wasn't that Bernie Williams, 51? That's all. I I, no. I don't know. I have no idea. 51. Let's NHL. That's your next hint. NHL 51 playoffs are going. Uh, I, I I don't know. Well, if I you should, ask but I don't. any Toronto Maple Leafs fan, I am that's how long it's been since they have won a Stanley uh, Cup. Uh, and you know what? Toronto, Boston, not that Tampa's not good. I mean, Tampa's a super team. But to have Toronto play Boston, that's tough. Those are oh. two 
very good hockey teams. And to lose Austin Matthews yep. at this stage of the playoffs and Nazem Kadri and Willie Nylander, those guys can play, but credit to the Bruins because that team can, can go all the way. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes.